Good morning, and welcome to HR Tech Weekly, One Step Closer with Stacey Harris and John Sumser. Good morning, Stacey, and welcome to 2019. Good morning, John. That is right. 2019, the third day of the year, and we are all back at work. I think most people are, at least. I, I've heard you know, those those last conversations on Facebook saying, tomorrow's my next first day. So so I think we're we're all here. Uh, trying to get things started for the new year, and and are and you're home right now, correct? Right. I am home. Um, it's been almost a month now since I was on the road. There's a trip next week, but but in general, things are good. Yeah, and I just got back from a wonderful family vacation uh, with my parents and my brother and his kids and my daughter-in-law to be and uh, the whole family and. My son and we had a great time. It's it, it's nice to reconnect. I think everyone needs to do that every once in a while. And it was it was definitely a, a necessary break from the wonderful world of HR tech. But we are back and talking about HR tech and more excited than ever about what's going to happen in 2019. Yeah. So so let's spend some time talking about what we learned last year. What do you yeah. think the big lumps are? Well, this was this was interesting. I went through into a little analysis. You know me because it's all about data for me. So I went through and did a little bit of analysis of, of what came up in our data, you know, from all of our notes, because we do notes every week on, on the radio show. And it was interesting. The number one word that came up on all the words was marketplaces. That was sort of an interesting. We talked a lot about marketplaces last year and how people were growing them and what they were looking like and what the opportunities were with them. But that was the number one world outside of things like acquisition, which comes up obviously in the large numbers or words, talent, stuff like that. But sort of number one odd word was marketplaces. And so we also saw a lot of conversation about artificial intelligence. What is it? What it isn't? What should we fear? What should we look forward to? And the very first artificial intelligence ethical officers being hired in the market. A lot of talk about unemployment and how low it was last year. And conversations about consumer applications entering the enterprise software space. Amazon, Facebook, Apple, Google, and Microsoft all sort of creating sort of consumer-like approaches to HR and enterprise software. And so that was kind of interesting. So lots of good stuff coming up last year. When you look back, are, are those the things that you would have picked out as the sort of the big, big topics of last year? Or would there have been something else that you would have? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a surprise. You know, the, you know, most people thought that AI was an esoteric conversation. And it turns out that everybody was paying attention. And so when I think about marketplaces, what, what I tend to think about is in, in the hands of the real pros, companies like Ultimate Software and Workday, the marketplace becomes the sort of data central, and, and it's what makes ecosystems of intelligent applications possible. Right? And so, so I hear, when I hear the term marketplace, I hear a code for a new way of doing business in, in the software world in general that emphasizes AI in a variety of ways. And I think that's also true of the consumer companies who are bringing their consumer mindset to the enterprise space. They're all fundamentally providers of commodity-type intelligent tools. Yeah, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing this year. You know, we'll we'll see what what the big predictions will be for this year. I think everybody under the sun is going to be putting out predictions. But for me, I think the the conversation about how you take a consumer view of data, which is which has been driven a lot by marketing and understanding how people are influenced in motivations and translate that 
into in an ethical way into business and business you know applications and the use of them inside of companies uh, to me that will be the the big question we're going to probably get into in 2019 that we I don't think have had to get into up to this point as heavily you know um I think that's true but there's a, there's an announcement floating around somewhere about Microsoft analytics packages being available to all users now and and it seems to me that 2019 might be the year where we overeat on this stuff right? because you know you know measuring everything for the sake of measuring everything i've been an advocate for that idea for for a really long time and my long-term conclusion is it's a dumb idea yes hold it hold it this is this is many years of predictions in a row i, I think i was wrong Take note, John was the first person I ever knew who had Google Glasses <laughs> and, a, and a smartwatch. And you're tracking all of your, your sleeping habits. And, and you're saying this is a, this is a dumb idea. Are we, we going to make a note of that right now? <laughs> well, it, you know, so, so in consumer environments, uh, consumer environments are very, very focused places. The company wants you to do a specific thing that increases their revenue or decreases their cost. And they want you to do that as a member of a group of people who number in the hundreds of thousands or millions. And all of that measurement of individual behavior makes a lot of sense when you have hundreds of thousands or millions of people generating data. And, and, and maybe you know, as seems to be the case on the broad consumer internet, maybe you want to measure everything you can measure about all of those people from a consumer point of view. If you're a company, you don't have hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people ever. And, and so the idea that you can get the same sorts of insights, the same sorts of insights from the data that you can get in a consumer sense, that's, that's where the mistake is. That's where the mistake is. It doesn't do you much good to have that data about 10,000 people. So I, I'm going to take a little different take on this because I get what you're saying. And, 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 and the, the, the conversation is, is really, there, there, there's a, an article out there about Microsoft expanding what they call my analytics, right? That's, I think, the package we're talking about. And it's a worker tracking tool of, and they're expanding it from what was just the, Office sort of Enterprise Five group, which is Business Premier Premium Group, to now anyone who has an Office 365 license, right? And the tool will tell you how often you're in Outlook and how long you're spending on things, how many emails you send, all kinds of things that are focused on how you get your work done. If you're a avid user of Office products, as 90% of the large business workforce is. But I think the thing that maybe is is different here from sort of enterprise system applications and HR applications as they exist and think today is that the reason this is being rolled out to everyone who has Office 365 is not because you want to look at your individual company, although that might be valuable in its own sense if you have a large enough group of employees. But I think this is getting at a bigger conversation that's going to be taking place, if not this year, in the next couple of years, I think leading up to, to be honest, some of the political changes that are that are going on throughout the, the world is the idea of individual sort of improvements in your work environment. Now, 
good or bad. There could be a lot of downs for this and this could be a lot of upsides to this. But I think what Microsoft and most of the large enterprise systems are starting to realize is that the business themselves are not the ones who might be looking for changes. It might be the employees. And that, I think, is a, is a different context. So, you know, every week, dutifully, my iPhone tells me about my use of screen time. And it, and it is singularly useless. <laughs> singularly useless. I have no idea whether it's enough, not enough, too much. And, and what I might do to improve, eradicate, amp up my use of that tool. And so, so the question that I have for you is, let's say you have all of this data from your Microsoft applications. How's that going to help you improve your job? I don't think it's going to do anything this year. I don't think it'll do anything in the next year or two, maybe. But my assumption is, is, and this gets back to how much are you willing to feed the beast, right? That eventually Microsoft will be able to do some analysis and give me some insight back, right? On the and what would that be for you for you in your job in particular? Yeah. So it could um, be information on who I'm speaking with the most, or information on which emails are getting responded. To more quickly, or it could be information on how often I log into Outlook and I'm working on emails compared to which days I get big projects done. They would have to be connected to some other applications to do that, but I can see this as being the seed of that if it's done well. Like I said, there's a lot of upsides, but I could also see a lot of downsides. It could also tell my boss that, you know, I spend too much time, you know, on emails that don't go to anybody inside the company if that's what they're worried about, right? Wow, that sounds creepy. It does, um, yes. and, 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 and it doesn't sound like it actually helps you do your job, right? I, I know a good deal about your job. And the most important things that happen in your job happen between the time you turn the machines off at night and the time you turn them back on in the morning. Absolutely, without without exception, your major breakthroughs do not come when you're using software. The things that, me, that make the most value in your job as you contribute to Sierra Cedar are not a measure of how much time you spend on Twitter or whatever. Um, the, the, the value that you create comes from the questions that you figure out to ask. So I think that's what most knowledge workers do. Now, now it may be the case that call center people can be fed statistics that tell them how to shave two seconds off of their phone calls or something, but, but I, don't, I don't think that's very interesting. And from what I can tell, call center jobs where you can shave two seconds off of it are exactly where the automation is going to happen. So I don't get what they're measuring and I don't get I don't get I don't get how to use the feedback that I would get if somebody gave me this. You know, well, maybe I, they I, tell me the average age of stuff in my email in basket is 90 days old. And that would add to my already deep shame about what a miserable correspondent I am, but but I have no idea how that would help me improve. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, there, there is, there is. I think. A Although, what would you agree with that I'm a miserable correspondent, or that well, my yeah, inbound is ninety days old? <laughs> I would agree that there are areas where some of this information won't be as valuable as others. 
I won't say anything. I'll take the fifth on how well you correspond. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, I will note that that Microsoft put out some comments on this, and their perspective is that the focus of this is to help users avoid burnout at work. For the same reason, I think that if you're using an iPhone, at least, Apple has specifically put out how much you use your your Apple iPhone for the sheer purpose of trying to keep give people insight into whether or not they're, they're letting the system take over their life. And to your point, if my best work is done outside of the system, maybe the answer is you need less system time, right? So I, I think there's, there's, there's a, there's a both sides of this picture, but the thing that I think that we, that we have to really understand is that this may not be a business driven discussion. This may be an employee to a software or employee to my work conversation, which is different. And I don't know that we've that we've thought about it in that way previously. So so you're saying this this is interesting. You you know, this this all started with salary.com's salary report. You could go into your boss and say, I'm not making enough money and here's the proof. Now you're saying, I'm gonna get feedback in some sort of a routine report from Microsoft that tells me I'm not doing my job well enough and here are the ways that I can improve that I'm now going to take to my boss's office. And when he tells me to go empty the trash cans, I say, look, I've got this report here that says I'm already emptying too many trash cans. And it's from Microsoft. That doesn't sound like it'll actually really work very well. Well, you know, Let's. I think we'll agree to disagree on this one because I think this is gonna. This is going to give people power over their. And the number one thing I hear when I talk to our, to employees about their jobs is how little their bosses understand about what they do, and how undervalued some of the things they think are most important are inside of some of these organizations. And having a tool that could maybe show some of that might be valuable for some of them. So I don't, I don't know. Let's let's keep this going for just a little bit more. Do you think that people take time to think about how they create value and what that means? I think they take time to figure out how to do the best job they feel they can do, right? I think people inherently want to do a good job most of the time if it if it's feasible in the work environment that they're in, if, if all the basics are filled in, like I'm getting paid enough and the work environment is clean and safe and all those things, right? When you get past that, the next question is, how do I do a good job? Right? It's really interesting. You know, the hardest, hardest people for me to manage over the years have been the people who insist that they know what I really mean and start telling me how they're going to do what they think I really mean better. And, and, you know, when I get into one of those conversations, I go, oh, this relationship is not going to salvage um, <laughs> because, because we're lost now, because the, the employee with all of the great intention in the world is off the reservation. And it's, it's been my experience that when employees go off the reservation, unless they're some sort of super strategic thing, what you do is let them. The hyper-motivated, enthusiastic employees who think they know what the right answer is without having enough information are harder to retrain than people who don't care quite so much. <laughs> I, it's a really I, interesting yeah, thing. You know, this yeah. is kind of kind of the root of my thinking about engagement is is this thing that that is that engagement is extraordinary unless 
it results in an even worse dissatisfaction because the things that you hope to accomplish are not aligned with what the organization does. But they can be accomplished, yeah. No, I. Th- there are a lot of pitfalls in this picture, right? There are a lot of people who have left companies because the salary they thought they should be getting after they looked at the salary.com information, right, wasn't what they were getting. And so they, they moved on or went someplace else, right? So there are a lot of ways this could create chaos in some manner, right? The conversation. Yeah, can you imagine? I, I'm going to quit my next job because I got my report from Microsoft that says I'm not doing enough email. <laughs> or I'm doing too many emails or there's not enough people doing the same job that other companies have, right? Can you imagine employees having the analytics that companies sometimes have about benchmarking, right? You know, I... My favorite thing when I do benchmarking for organizations is when I have the number of employees per HR employee, right? So how many HR professionals you have in an organization to meet the needs of an entire organization. And it ranges anywhere from like 100, you know, for large organizations, not small organizations, but for large organizations, we're from like 100 to 150 employees. And I've seen it all the way go up to 1,000 per single HR employee, right? 1,000 is crazy, has a lot of self-service, all of the, the centralized work and stuff. But when you're looking at those numbers, there's and you're an HR professional and you see that you're on that lower or higher end of employee numbers that you're serving per lower HR professionals, it's really easy to say, this is why I can't get anything done, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, except, except those numbers are like completely bogus. You know, an HR, an HR department in heavy manufacturing that has a doctor on staff will have radically different per capita HR headcount, right? And so, and so you can't tell anything from that crap until you understand exactly what the HR department is trying to do. And generally speaking, HR departments are trying to do things that are specific to their company. So it's very, very difficult to compare apples to apples with that kind of data. And often the most stupid and easiest to arrive at conclusions are the ones that get Put forward. This is an argument we've been having since the day we met. It is. <laughs> can you do benchmarks and frameworks? And can you? <laughs> it has been, and it's it's a great way to start 2019. No, I think <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, yeah for I'm, ten years we've not been able to agree <laughs> to on this, up. and yeah. I don't I don't know why you insist on being so dumb. <laughs> because I understand that eventually you will see my way, John. There's just. <laughs> No, there is no doubt that benchmarking has its pitfalls, but I disagree. I do think there are there's value in it. It gives you a baseline. It's it's it is always an, a matter of context, and it always means you have to do benchmarking in a very very distinct, focused way. But there's value in understanding the baseline. It's part of how I think organizations begin to stretch a bit. And I think you know the salary conversation is a great. You know, historical view on how this worked, right? When you think about before the point of a salary.com, the conversation about salaries was very much a hidden and taboo conversation inside of organizations, right? And before that dissemination and democratization of information, you know, 
there was no chance that you were going to find out whether or not a male employee versus a female employee might be doing the same job and getting paid differently, right? There was no way that you were going to be able to find out the differentiation between unless you're a public company and it's and it's available in some sort of report. But even there, sometimes it wasn't the differentiation between sort of the lowest paid employee and the highest paid employees in your organization, right? That being said, it created a lot of chaos in the process of democratizing that information. But now the conversation about pay is not nearly as taboo. It's become a much more fluid conversation. I think we'll get that way because of this kind of information on the basis of how much work can honestly be done by a certain number of people or how much time should be spent in certain areas and how much burnout are you are you putting on your organization? Because that's a, an issue, particularly in the U.S., but really all over the world. Wow, we've managed to kick this dead horse pretty hard. What's the next one? <laughs> we have. Benefit Ed helps your workforce get the most out of your employer match program. Employee Choice, offered exclusively by Benefit Ed, enables employees to decide if they want their employer match contributions to be allocated to student loan repayment, retirement, or both. Increase plan participation and offer an innovative benefit without a drastic increase to overall benefit spend. Compete for the best and build your dream team. Learn more at ubenefited.com slash hrx. That's y-o-u-benefited.com slash hrx. All right. So we, we did get some other interesting things going on this couple of weeks before, sort of between New Year's and the holiday season and when everything seems to be kind of quiet. We did get one organization that did a an acquisition. A cap and company acquired Koru Predictive Hiring. So Cap and Company is a strength-based talent assessment organization. I do not know them, but I do believe you know Koru Careers. They are an organization that does some artificial intelligence and predictive analytics in the hiring space, right? You've interviewed their CEO, haven't you? Oh, listen, Josh Jarrett, who is their CEO and and one of the bright shining stars of the industry was on the HR Examiner Executive Conversations radio show on around the 20th or the 21st of December in the middle of doing the deal. And it was, it was a hysterical conversation because, you know, I knew it was going on, he knew it was going on, but we weren't allowed to talk about it. And so we had this great conversation about everything we could talk about. And he is a really bright addition to our world. So so it's worth taking a look at Koru and Cap and Co and seeing what they're doing. So and and just to, to understand Koru does predictive analytics. What is it using as its base for for data? Is it is it doing the predictive analytics off of internal company data or is it using something else that is using as a base for that? So it's fundamentally an assessment company. Right? And fundamentally what they do is take personality and skills data and wrap it together to make an assessment of the likelihood that a particular hire is going to be a good fit. That's the, that's the deal. And, and it's, it's part of, there are, there are, I think, maybe a dozen companies who are wrestling with the fact that machine learning makes it possible to dramatically reduce the cost of assessment which means you can, for the same investment, assess everybody who applies for a job, for instance, and have a hyper-enriched file that includes their personality assessment. Now, there's question, um, and 
there are smart people listening to this who will have really good answers. There's some question about whether or not personality type and job have some sort of inherent relationship between each other. I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that's true. Although the larger the number of people who are doing the job, the more you find some consistencies in personalities. So when you've got a thousand developers at Facebook, there's some consistency about, about what those developers are like personally. And there's a whole nother layer of question about whether or not you want everybody in a certain job to have the same kinds of strengths and personalities. And so this area of radically less expensive assessment leads to all sorts of questions about what constitutes the best kind of team. And this is the area that scares maybe the wrong word, but maybe worries me the most about some of the stuff that's going on with, with predictive analytics. I agree with you that, you know, numbers make a big difference here. And there's been a lot of really sound science behind some of this. But my biggest fear is that this gets in the hands of companies with too small a data sets or who don't understand the science and it's used in ways to, to make some, some really poor decisions to legitimize hiring the people they want to hire. And so I think this it'll be interesting to see how these organizations, and I think being bigger helps in this context and having multiple levels of assessments. I think this is the idea where that you brought up before that you have to have multiple data points before you start using some of these appropriately. Cap and Company seems to be a strength-based talent assessment. So it seems like a nice fit with this to the personality assessment conversation here. But yeah, it, it's an area that can be very, very scary for employees, particularly those who don't assess well, right? Who are not in the range of sort of one of the the generally approved sort of five, you know, personality types that people feel are effective inside companies and organizations, right? Yeah, it's hard to imagine that being an introvert who loves data, you know, a geek, gets you in the same conversation as being the sort of broad-chested, strong-judged, short-haircut, white male in a button-down shirt oozing self-confidence thing, right? And that's, to me, that's what personality means, right? Those are, those are two extremes of personality. And I'm not sure that we know enough to understand what jobs are done well by which kind of person. And, and it'll be interesting to see what the data says. You know, I, I think there's also some level of, and this is something I think, you know, you would ask a question, I think, on maybe it was Facebook or, or one of them about sort of what do you fear most about, you know, the artificial intelligence or what should we be thinking about the most? And that's coming down the road. And I think that the thing that I worry the most about is losing the value of the, the value of mistakes, right? You know, the, the fact that, you know, would someone have hired me as a introvert who doesn't terribly care all the time to to take the time to get to know people personally, right? <laughs> That's just kind of my personality. In certain cases, you know, would I have been hired to be a waitress, you know, at 16 years old when I took those tests? I don't know, but that waitressing job taught me some of the most amazing things I've I've ever learned and have been able to, to carry throughout my entire you know, career around thinking about data and how things work and how people work. So I do wonder if, you know, the system will will take out some of the value of the of the mistakes right well this is great so we're we're arriving at the end of our time and this is a 
rollicking good start on our conversation for 2019. Thanks for doing this this morning, Stacey, and we'll talk to you same time next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening in. Yeah, thanks, everyone, and Happy New Year. Bye-bye now. (laughs) 